To the Mary Mac Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. Good evening, everyone. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show, and I have the privilege today of being with Lisa Price, and Lisa has graciously agreed to speak about her beautiful daughter, Ari. Is that correct? Ari. (laughs) Yep. Ari. (laughs) Okay. Who passed away at only 10 hours old. And this is the Bereaved Mother series, podcast series that we've pulled together to help other mothers and families, actually, to better understand what people actually go through when they've experienced the death of a child. And there are many places out there that give wonderful information, but when you hear it from an individual who's lived it, it's completely different. And this is what you need to hear if you're going through this. So I want to welcome Lisa. Lisa's out of New Bern, Wisconsin, and I am so privileged for her to be with us today. Thank you for being here, Lisa. Oh, Mary, thank you. The privilege is like, I'm honored because anytime I get to share Ari and I get to share our family's story and just provide hopefully a, you know, a, a a tinge of hope in someone else's heart that's experiencing a similar journey is truly a privilege for me and a gift because it feels like a connection with Ari. So thank you. Wonderful. So would you be gracious to tell us about your life before your pregnancy with Ari? Sure. Well, we have a son, Chase. So he was born in 2012, very sporty, very silly, big, character of a boy. You know, he's a, he's a boy boy. (laughs) Um, literally playing, you know, tackle football with me now in the, in the backyard and everything. So we knew that we wanted to have another baby and got pregnant pretty quickly when we made that decision and, you know, shared the news with Chase and it was amazing. He was super excited uh, he had his big brother shirt. He had a book that was, you know, said something about like being a big brother. And uh, yes. we have a video of him um, just being s- just like glossed over, like, is this really happening? So just super excited to add, add on to our family. 
I don't think anything was missing. Obviously, we enjoyed, you know, our our years alone with Chase. Um, but then, as as most families, I'm sure, come to the conclusion that they they want to add on to their family, and so we we got pregnant really quick. How long had oh. you been married no, to okay. Brandon? Uh, Brandon, yes, your husband. Yep, we got married in 2011. So we got pregnant with Chase right away. Um, and then he was born in August of 2012. And then, um, we got pregnant with Ari in 2016. Excellent. And would you start to tell us about your pregnancy and how that went? Certainly. I was considered advanced maternal age. So my OBGYN had suggested to get the uh, screening done. Um, and I air quote this all the time for peace of mind. Because we had, you know, no history of anything really in either side of our families to be concerned about anything. So we went in for the, you know, screening. And prior to that, you know, use it with a genetic counselor and they just kind of go over what the screening is going to be like and why they do the screening. I literally remember sitting there and not really listening 100% because I was like, oh, I'm just here because this is like routine. This is what they do for women who are a little bit older. Right. Um, <laughs> and so they did this, right. And so they did the screening and we unfortunately got news back that it looked like she was high risk markers for trisomy 13. And I remember like hearing the word trisomy at our first initial meeting with the genetic counselor, but I didn't really absorb what it meant because I probably was sitting there kind of cocky, almost like that's, that's not going to be our baby. Our baby's fine. Yeah. And so when, you know, we got the phone call that we would need to come back in for more testing to confirm, I was floored. I, it literally was, we were taken by a surprise. So I would say right then was a little bit of grief right there because the innocence of having this, you know, carefree, joyous pregnancy and like the naivety of it was pretty much stripped away. So we went in pretty much, I think it was in the, within a few days to go back in to have a chorionic villa sampling. So that's where they stick, you know, a long skinny needle into your placenta to pull out some cells from there to test even further. They did the nuchal translucency test on the back of her neck. And the specialist said, oh, it looks actually like the average size. So that's great. So right there, it was like, you know, these little pieces of, of okay, everything's going to be fine. The CVS, the chorionic villa sampling was very uncomfortable. And I just remember tears running down my eyes, not only because of the pain, but also just all the unknown, like the weight yeah. of the world is resting on, you know, what this test result is going to be. It was so heavy. But then my focus went to the screen because obviously they have the ultrasound over you and we could see her face. <gasps> and so right then and there, I was at peace, not a hundred percent, probably in my body, but in my heart, in my soul, I was connected to her and we got to see her face and it was beautiful. And so I will now remember that moment from being this painful experience to, I got to see her face. So it was so, it's like that pain to beauty. And that's like, the journey so was she looking forward like in the she was looking forward it was more of a profile so i could see okay. her cute little nose <laughs> and her little chin so yeah but just perfection to me at that point but and when did you unfortunately when did you find out that it was a girl that day uh-huh. <laughs> okay. so 
that day we did find out that Ari was a girl. And so we went home and we told Chase that he was having a sister because he knew he was having a, you know, a sibling, but he didn't know a boy or girl. So we went home and told him that he was having a sister. He, at that point, obviously didn't know anything about, you know, any testing that we were getting done. And we opted to get, I think it was called the fish result. So it's like a quicker version, but then they'll do like a more thorough test just so that you can get the results back a little quicker. Okay. Um, So we opted to get that done. And I remember being at the park with Chase. It was like an abnormally warm November day. Like you never know what weather you're going to get in Wisconsin, but (laughs) this day was like a 70 some humid day in the middle of November or beginning of November. So we were at a park with a girlfriend of mine and her daughter and my phone rang and I didn't recognize the number, but it was like an area code of pretty much what a hospital number would look like with the last few digits. So I took a deep breath and answered the phone and it was the genetic counselor with the test results, the quick test ones. And she said, I'm so sorry, but everything came back as your daughter having full trisomy, which means it's in every cell of her body. There's different types of trisomy where it can be mosaic, partial, where it's just in the placenta, but it doesn't affect the baby. But she had full trisomy 13. Can you and I just remember tell- dropping to my knees. Oh my God. And I was screaming. I remember screaming. And of course, Chase comes running over by me. My girlfriend comes running over by me. She's a labor and delivery nurse and she knew we were expecting test results. And so it was like the perfect person to be there with me. Absolutely. Um, because she had somewhat of an understanding and just kept saying, I'm so sorry. The genetic counselor was like, Miss Price, Mrs. Price, are you there? I honestly don't remember much more other than I think I said I had to go because Chase had to go to school. I had to drive him there. I opted to drive him there, (laughs) which that would be some of my advice for any bereaved parent is to accept the help. Don't be so like you have to do it all yourself because in that moment, I probably shouldn't have driven Chase to school. <laughs> My girlfriend offered to take him, but I I said, no, I needed, I needed to do it. But as soon as I dropped him off at school and came back in the car, I just wept, punched my steering wheel, all the things, right? And surfaces now <laughs> because just reliving that, it was so gut-wrenching. To believe that this this is now what we're going to be experiencing is so much unknown because with trisomy babies, you don't know if you're going to have another minute with them, if they will even survive pregnancy, labor or delivery is really hard on them for the most part. So we didn't know. There was a lot of anticipatory grief. Tell us what trisomy 13 really is. So that means that they have three chromosomes instead of two of the 13th chromosome. Oh, okay. So it causes lots of heart defects. Usually organ growth is most often small. A lot of babies are born with the cleft palate. Some of them, they have one eye versus two. Sometimes the, the hemispheres of the brain don't split and they just have one section. Most often have clenched hands and rocker feet. So their feet are kind of round shaped extra digits. So Ari actually had an extra digit in between her pinky and her ring finger on each hand, which I think was so like, once she was born, we were like, oh my gosh, it's so precious. And I'm so glad we have like photos of her that show that she has that extra finger. So just lots of different abnormalities, different heart defects, all of that. So their life is often 
doctors will say that, you know, they will often offer to abort the pregnancy because they kind of deem babies with trisomy as not having a quality of life. So I know there's a lot of advocates out there, myself included, that we want all babies to have the right to live. And so trisomy does have a lot of, I don't want to say backlash, but there's a lot of families that struggle with getting fair care. So yes, I could see that. Could Mm -hmm. see both sides. So pregnancy continued and we actually at every appointment, you know, they told us thing after thing that was wrong with her, but all we kept seeing was like, she's thriving, like she's still surviving in my womb. We were celebrating that. We tried to do more things like go to the park, go to the zoo and, you know, give her experiences, even though she was in me, you know, trying to make as much memory making as possible. And that's another thing I will really point out to, you know, maybe parents that are, are receiving similar news that try to make as much memories with them as possible. Even once they're born, I know some families don't want to do handprints or fingerprints or, you know, molds of their feet. And maybe that will change later on. And you won't have those items if you just don't do it. And then you can put them in a box or something and not look at them until you're ready. But I know a lot of families that chose not to do that just from working with different moms and and dads, that if they didn't have those items that they wouldn't know what to do. Like they're so glad that a nurse did that for them. And then they were able to keep those and just look at them when they were ready. So um, that would be just another, another pointer. Yes. Not leave no regrets, leave no regrets. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So we found out those test results and then we had to go back into the genetic counselor just to get, you know, more details. And we just tried to keep faith. I mean, there was nobody that was going to tell us like, she wasn't going to make it. Like we, we had goals for her and she was going to make those goals. And and we prayed really hard. Obviously we prayed for her to be totally healed, Sure, but you know, one of our goals was to have her survive labor or pregnancy labor and delivery for her to meet her brother. And then for us to also get her home. And she made all three of those. So, so my, my water broke on its own. We originally whole much bunch to this. Um, my younger sister was supposed to be getting married at the end of April and I was in the wedding. So was Chase. And my due date was a few days before that. Oh my So my doctor had suggested, my doctor had suggested that we do an induction knowing that Ari might not live very long. She said to have the sad first and then have the happy later. And so that was like a comment that I wish she would not have said. <laughs> oh my. Um, so we chose we chose April 12th as the induction date, but then something wasn't sitting right with me and I prayed about it. And I said, you know what? I feel more comfortable Ari choosing her own birthday, God choosing her birthday. Let's cancel the induction. So we did and felt better about that decision. And my water broke actually on its own on April 12th. <laughs> So isn't that interesting? (laughs) Yeah. And so then we stayed overnight. She came really quick. April 13th, she was born just a little bit after midnight. Family was in the room after Chase got to come and see her and bathe her, read a book to her. I mean, the room was filled. Our our pastor was there praying over all of us. We had a photographer in the room that was a a friend of mine and just tried to love on her as much as possible. We did choose to not take any extreme measures to keep her alive. And that's something like 
you know, as I look back now, it's like, okay, did we really do all we could for her? And I do believe we did. My dad had open heart surgery and she would have needed open heart surgery. And I know how much pain he was in from having open heart surgery as a 55 year old man. So a newborn, she had to, first of all, survive three weeks at least before she could have surgery. But just knowing how much pain she would be in, I, for selfish reasons, would have kept her alive. But I knew that that would have been more for selfish reasons. So we chose to just love on her, keep her comfortable Mm -hmm. as much as possible with the time that we had with her. She had a few apnea episodes in the hospital. And so if we would just rub her toes or tickle her foot, she would come, come to. And Chase was bathing her. I remember her first episode, Chase was giving her a little washcloth bath alongside me. And I noticed that she wasn't moving anymore. She didn't really cry at all, but she did have like little whimpers and she wasn't making any noise. So I just kind of flagged the nurse down, like what's going on is like this it. And she just rubbed her foot, tickled her foot and she came back. So she had several of those while we were in the hospital. And it, since it was, you know, early in the morning, everybody kind of went home. My parents had chase. So they took him to their house so that everybody could get some sleep. And we said we would call everybody when we made it home. And so we made it home. We drove home. She was in my lap. She was not in a car seat. The hospital recommended that since she was so tiny, she was only like five pounds. And because of the state that she was in and you know the goal that we had for her to get her home, I just held her on my lap in the car and the song Home from Chris Tomlin was playing while we were driving home. So that is a song that, you know, it was a God thing. I think a God sense, I like to call those, that that was playing when we were driving her home. So we got home and the hospice team came already, the palliative hospice team. So the doorbell rang, Brandon ran down to go open the door and get them. He was talking to them. We were home for a half hour and it just felt different holding Ari. Like all of a sudden she was lighter. And so I called the nurse over to check on her heartbeat. And she said, no, it's there. She's still here. She's still with us. And I said, I no, like she's gone. Like I just, I could feel it. So she you listened You mean again you felt like her second. spirit was gone? Yeah. It was just lighter. Like I just, I knew. And so the nurse listened the second time and she goes, I'm sorry. I don't hear a heartbeat now. So you a half hour later after I did, you knew. you knew, I did. Yeah. So a half hour later, after we got her to our family home, she passed away in my left arm. So I have a tattoo of a lion because her name means lion of God. So I have a half of a lion head on my arm where Aww. she passed away, you know, just to remember I have that special connection with her. But as soon as she passed away, my husband swept her out of my arms because he didn't get to hold her alive while we were home because he was busy taking care of us. So, wow. yeah. So he took her into Chase's bedroom to, which I found out later. I didn't know this because obviously I was being consoled by the, the hospice team and decided to make the phone calls to like the grandparents and my sisters and his sister. So Brandon took her into Chase's room to like introduce her to him and was telling him her stories of, of Chase and how amazing he is. So So yeah, that day knocked us on our butts, (laughs) even though we knew nothing prepares you, right? Like hits you like a freight train. Nothing prepares you for the loss of your child. So yeah, that was April 13th, 2017. And from that point, there's, it's hard to describe because everybody's grief journey is different, right? 
But I think there's so much universal pain that hopefully can be turned into purpose. And I know we we hear that often and that's like such a cliche, but I knew for our family, it was up to us. It wasn't up to like friends or family to keep Ari's memory alive because unfortunately a lot of them didn't get to meet her, but it was up to us. And it was, and you know, even me, it was up to me to hold on to Ari's memory in the way that I I could. And mm-hmm. that was the only responsibility. I couldn't put that on other people. So we just continued to have faith and we focused on uh, just being together with one another. You know, it's not perfect. <laughs> I had this idea of like, oh, now we're going to have this, you know, different perspective of like our family's going to be perfect. No, it's not. <laughs> but there's a lot more communication that goes on in our family prior. So I would say that that's one thing that kind of came from her. Her death is just how much more we communicate and how much more we're aware of of one another's grief experience because it's all different. All three of us, even though we lost the same person, all of us are grieving differently. Absolutely. And Chase was, you said he was four years old when she passed. He was four. Yep. He was four and he, he remembers everything. <laughs> I mean, I know it's that's when their brain is obviously still developing, but there's a lot of things that he will still to this day bring up like, did that really happen? You know, cause he's remembering it as he gets older and his brain continues to develop, you know, it comes back up and, and it's, it's kind of neat to see that he does remember and all the details. Like he was in the living room when the funeral director came to pick up Ari's body and he was drawing inside a cardboard box. And so he was kind of hiding then behind it after they took Ari's body and so then I went to him and just, you know, gave him a hug and he ended up like holding my face and he goes, that's okay, mom, we're going to see her again. We'll see her in heaven. Like, oh. <laughs> right. But in that moment, it's like, oh, my kid just grew up right in front of my eyes. My four-year-old is consoling me right. <laughs> versus, you know, vice versa. But yeah, it's been a journey. Not to mention that he was so aware about that we'll see her again in heaven. Yeah. He's a wise old soul. In a tiny little body. <laughs> <laughs> but I say he's like our superhero, like a real life superhero, because, you know, we get out of bed in the beginning. We got out of bed every day because he needed us. Right. And it's, it's that, that motivates you to put one front in front of the other. If it's not doing it for yourself, you know, we had to do it for him. Like even the next day we had to go to Costco cause we needed toilet paper. We were totally <laughs> out of toilet paper. So the three of us, like, you know, Life does move on or move forward, even though ours felt like it just was shattered into a million pieces, but we still needed toilet paper. So it's just like weird things like that. Absolutely. Um, And did you feel that sense of a bubble around you where you're kind of operating, but you're, it's just like, you feel like you're not really yourself. mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And some days I, you know, six years later, I still wake up some mornings and go, did that like, this is really what happened. And this is the life that we're living. We're living without Ari here, you know? So yeah, it does. I had somebody say it once. It was like a snow globe, you know, like if you're inside those. It's very true. And you turn it upside down. It's just like everything all around you is moving, but you're just staying still. That's a very good analogy. Very good analogy. Wow. And as time went on, did you go back to work? Did you stay home? How did your life go from day to day? Were you primarily taking care of Chase? Yeah, he was on spring break because it was right around Easter. 
but he went back to school. Brandon went back to work. We had a good week together with him off of school and Brandon took uh, bereavement leave. I am a dance teacher by career. So our dance studio was closed for that week. But then I went back to work 10 days later and started teaching dance again, which was, I would say, cathartic, but also triggering just because of little kids being there. And yeah, but I think it, it helped me to process maybe what I might not have had I have taken like three months to stay home. You know, I, I just knew from my mental state, and this is just for me personally, I needed, I needed purpose. I needed a schedule. I needed, I needed to get back to something that was, yeah, routine and something that I loved doing. And boy, did it change how I taught dance though. I mean, I was, I was part of like our competitive program and, you know, making sure all the dancers are doing exactly what they need to. And it was very regimented and, you know, not strict, but just very competitive. And once I went back, it was, okay, I can't do that anymore, but I can create healing, not only for myself, but for my students through how I teach. So it became like a therapeutic dance versus making dancers. Wow. And, and it was a pretty quick shift. And then I decided to not work with our competitive kids anymore and just work with our recreational kids that came maybe one, two, three hours a, a week just to take a little bit of the stress and, and pressure off of myself to have to churn out dancers and, you know, competitive dance numbers that are perfect. <laughs> I wasn't going prefer- for perfection anymore. I was just going for healing and, you know, trying to trying to help myself and my students. So it's kind of crazy to look back. I didn't see it at the moment, but now I can definitely look back and go, holy cow, do I teach like a different, I'm a different person because I am. Yeah. And how did things progress like with you and your husband? How did life change for both of you and your relationship? I would say right away in the beginning, like right when we found out our diagnosis, I remember him coming up the stairs from work after the park incident of hearing, you know, she had trisomy. I remember falling into his arms, like literally like a limp noodle, but then straightened up and hugged him tighter and said, I'm here for you too. Like, you don't have to be the rock in this because you're experiencing this as well. And I think so often like the dads, I don't want to say they get forgotten about, but oftentimes when it's the mom and she's, it's a, a pregnancy, it's a, you know, an infant loss. It's, it's more about the mom, but the dad's, right there. <laughs> so I I would love for there to be more support for dads. Completely right away, agree. You know, completely mm-hmm. agree. And I think they they don't get enough credit for all that they do for us and how they help us. And it, it's hard for them though because they don't know where to go for help honestly. You know, mm-hmm. their friends really don't know how to help them and you know, they're not the kind of people who sit around in a group like we do and tell all their stories. <laughs> they just don't, yes. you know? <laughs> no, I know. I know. You know, yeah. and yeah. And so, but they definitely need to feel like somebody cares about them, cares for yes. them. Right. So it definitely was something in the beginning, especially that I was like, we're in this together. And he has been my rock. He's let me be the one that you know, is in a pool of snot and tears crying on the ground when he's standing there hold or sitting next to me, holding me, you know, and just like I said, communication is better because he can tell when I'm like Ari's birthday's coming up. I'm a little more moodier. I can feel it in my body. Right. So he either gives me space or he 
you know, is, is more aware and asks if he can do anything or, you know, and then vice versa. I remember asking him like, how are you doing this? Cause in the beginning, you know, it was hard to function. And I'm like, how are you doing this every single day? Like you, you seem fine, even though you're not fine. And he said, I'm not dwelling on her death. And at first I was like mad, <laughs> but then I'm like, he said, I'm not dwelling on her death. I'm trying to do something with her life. Like I'm living my life in honor of Ari. Aww. So then that has been something that has always stuck with me. Like, even though it's not perfect and I make lots of mistakes in that area, but I'm trying to honor my own life, which will in turn honor Ari's. I don't think we can live our life for our deceased children because that's way too much pressure. Absolutely. Um, I know that's even like for Chase being a sibling. He puts a lot of pressure on himself, like in sports to like be the best. And I don't think that's something that we say at all to him, but I think that's just something he feels he has to do. And so we try to work with him on that. Like, it's okay if you strike out, it's okay if you, you know, throw a a ball to somebody when you're pitching, like, it's okay. It's just a game. Like you don't have to do it all and do it perfectly, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a learning process because as our life shifts and changes, and our grief shifts and changes. So do our needs of support and the ways that we cope and the ways that we manage. You know, the ways that we did it in the beginning are definitely different six years later. It looks a lot different. So just having more conversations around what supports you, you know, how can I help you? Because we can't expect our partner to grieve the same way. You know, there's in, intuitive and instrumental grievers, and we're all, I think, a mix of both. But, you know, maybe on the scale, we're on opposite ends. And so just having, you know, more moments of like, where are you? What do you need? What helps you the most? And then seeing what I can do to help provide maybe one or two of those things. I don't think our partners can do everything for us because I think not one single person should be given every responsibility Mm -hmm. or task to help us in our grief. I think we need to sprinkle it through a bunch of people. I kind of call that like your your tribe of people. Um, and actually I use the acronym ALION, L-I-O-N, to have like a really good listener, not somebody who you think's a listener, but a really good listener, somebody who doesn't interject, somebody that doesn't give, you know, advice or an agenda or, you know, make it about them. Like they really just sit and listen. And then having somebody who can occupy your time and then somebody who implementer, sorry, L-I-O-N, and implementer <laughs> is somebody that can do tasks for you. Like, you know, in the beginning, if they can cook for you or shop for you, or, you know, when a holiday comes and you don't feel like Christmas shopping, maybe they can do the Christmas shopping for you or wrap the presents, you know, somebody that gets stuff done and they don't, they're good at it, right? That's where they excel. And then the occupier is somebody who can like offer a little bit of a distraction, you know, to take, you know, maybe you to a movie or shopping or, you know, something to just pull your, pull your focus off of your grief for just a moment. Cause you know, you'll always pick it back up. It's okay. And then there's the naysayer that the N is not really a supporter. Maybe they mean the best, but maybe you have to put up a little bit more boundaries with them because they, you know, like to make it more about them. So a listener, an implementer, an occupier, and a naysayer. So <laughs> those are my little wow. acronyms That's of great acronym support system. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. over the years, you've decided that you wanted to start different organizations that would help mm-hmm. others. And I wanted to give you a chance to tell us about those because I think there's an awful lot of mothers out there who would be very interested in what you do, especially the Mother's Day events. I think that's so special. And whether you can attend 
in person or you can attend online. I think it would be a phenomenal experience if you could be involved in the Mother's Day event. So Lisa, please tell us about that and your other projects. So right away, I wanted I wanted her life to mean something. She didn't just come and leave this earth nine hours and 51 minutes later for nothing. And so what I found in the beginning of our grief journey was there just was a lack of, there was support, but not continuous and constructive. We would go to the support groups and people would share their stories and there's so much power and healing power in telling your story. However, for people who keep coming and new people keep coming in, you know, I don't want to say veterans, but the people who have been there a little bit longer, I needed more guidance to now what? You know, I'm honored to hear everybody's stories and thank you for those who are listening to ours, but I don't want to just keep telling my story and telling my story and not having a, you know, and then, and now what can I do with this? And like tools and actual like tangible things to, to help. So I noticed that there was a severe lack in our area and I was like, Hey, I think I can try to help. And we went to an event, maybe Oh, it was probably like five months after Ari passed away. It was a memorial or a remembrance ceremony for children who have passed away. And, you know, we found an invitation to that and we ended up going. And I looked at the lady who was speaking who had lost her daughter. And I went up to the bereavement coordinator that put that remembrance ceremony together. And I said, I want to do what she's doing. I, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to <laughs> like give hope to other people. She shared her story, but then she went on to say that she's still living her life and she's doing these things and she's going back to school for her master's and counseling and just not that you have to do that, but there was just this hope piece that I felt was missing. So when I saw that, I was like, how can I help? And she's like, whoa, <laughs> like slow down. You're still fresh, but I would love to have you volunteer, see where we can go from there. So I worked with a bereavement coordinator at Children's Hospital in Wisconsin. I did volunteer work with her. She kind of traded off and gave me some you know, therapy while I was <laughs> folding flyers to go out to parents. And she knew I was a dance teacher and I was telling her how movement was so healing for me and listening to music and breathing and having that focus on, you know, what the mind body connection had to do. And it it helped me pull my focus from my grief. And then I would still have my moments where I could just be me and tears would fall when I was listening to music. Like it was just so healing. And she's like, Hmm, do you want to do a workshop here? <laughs> so then I was able to speak in front of bereaved parents. And then I was able to work with bereaved parents doing like a a meditation movement type of workshop. And then I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to be a life coach. I think this is maybe where I need to be. And I got certified as a life coach and took extra, you know, credentials to have the bereavement and grief piece. I started my own coaching business called Better Not Bitter Mom. I designed an online program that was 13 weeks long and we did group coaching every Monday and that started in December of 2019. And I actually stopped doing coaching after the third annual Bereave Mother's Day conference last year, just because I was feeling burnt out and Mm -hmm. needed to shift some things and just gave myself a lot of breathing room. It was a beautiful program. We still stay connected with the people that were in my group coaching program. And then I didn't want to stop doing the work though. I just needed to shift how it was happening. And a girlfriend of mine, my my best friend, I met after Ari had passed away. She never got to meet her, but she was the wife of my boot camp instructor at the gym. <laughs> he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer stage four. Oh my. He passed away the year after Ari passed away in April. 
And so our friendship started because after Ari passed away, she asked how I was doing and if I could come over for coffee. And she knew my husband was running a marathon. She asked if I wanted to make marathon signs to like cheer him on. So this complete stranger introduced herself to me, bravely asked how I was doing and stepped into my grief with me and was a huge companion on the journey. And we've been good friends ever since, best friends. Our boys are like brothers. She has three kids. And so she came to mind when I was starting to shift. And I'm like, how about we do this as a nonprofit? And how about we expand to help widows as well and bereaved children? So now we have this nonprofit that we started called Bereaved Together. And we offer, provide services that are wellness-based and they are online and in person. We have different community events that are wellness-based so that we provide that safe space for grieving individuals to come together in community and not feel so isolated or alone while they're also working on their heart, their mind, their soul, or a body and their spirit. So we always have some sort of movement piece at our events. We always have some sort of mindfulness. We always have some sort of creative element. We have the community, obviously, with conversations, just where people don't have to wear a mask and they can literally be themselves. So we started that in November of last year. And all the work that I was doing from my business has now transferred into the nonprofit. So we have a beautiful event coming up on Sunday, May 7th for Bereaved Mother's Day. So it's the Sunday always before, I don't know if you want to call it regular Mother's Day or normal Mother's Day. We get both days, by the way. If you're a bereaved mom, you get Bereaved Mother's Day and Mother's Day. (laughs) And so I just wanted, after Ari died, I didn't know what a bereaved mom was until I became her. I didn't know there was such thing as bereaved mother's day until I became a bereaved mom. So I was Googling like everybody does Google searching bereaved mother's day and not much came up other than what it was. There was maybe one little event, you know, in Georgia, it was somewhere not near. And while I was coaching, I'm like, I, I feel called to gather bereaved moms together on bereaved mother's day and literally do like a brunch that everybody does on regular mother's day. I want them, you know, doted on and I want flowers and I want, you know, them to feel so loved and so special like we did with my mom and like I felt with Chase. And so we organized, we rented the venue, we organized everything, caterers and then COVID hit. So everything for me was like, oh, I can't do this. But then I had business coaches and they were like, no, you can do it. Make it virtual. So our first and second year of the conference was virtual. So everybody, all my speakers came in doing it on Zoom, yeah, the comfort of their own home, like everybody experienced. But fortunately last year, you know, with COVID and everything lifting, we were able to finally have it in person. And I didn't want to take it away from anybody who came virtually because we had women from the UK joining us, from Canada, from all over the coasts. And I didn't want to take it away from them. So we did a hybrid version and I had a co-host online and all of the Zoom faces were projected onto the screen. I love that. in-person event and our camera was pointed out at the you know, in-person guests so that the so they could see what was going on the room. Yes. Oh, how nice. Um, so it was goosebumps, like full body goosebumps on that. And we were able to do that again this year then. So Sunday, May 7th at Terrace 167 in Wisconsin, or join us virtually is happening again. And it's just, there are no words to describe the event. It is exploratory of your grief. It is, like I said, no words. It It's 
community, it's connection, it's conversation, it's feeling a part of something bigger than the pain. It's a place to connect with your child. If you feel like you have always shoved down what you want to say about your child because you're fearing what other people will you know, feel and you're going to make someone else uncomfortable, this is the place where you will not make anybody uncomfortable because we are all experiencing something similar. So you're able to connect with your child, talk about your child, celebrate their life, you know, honor yourself and how brave you are for getting up every day, for showering, for putting one foot in front of the other, for going back to work, you know, anything is a grief win that you do. Right. And so we're celebrating all of that. So it's just, again, no words. I have amazing speakers. I have amazing presenters that do yoga with us, breath work. A few years ago, I had a sound bowls. So just all different healing modalities along with speakers that just, you know, are sharing their stories and have tangible tools to help you. A lot of them have their own nonprofits or have written books or have online courses. So there's just a lot of information, but also just a lot of honoring yourself, which like I said, honors your child. So wonderful. Yeah. It's truly a gift to be able to do this work because it, it, I mean, for me, obviously it, it honors Ari to provide a connection with her. You know, I only had her here for nine hours and 51 minutes. I didn't get much memory making with her, but in the way, this is how I am making memories with her. And also just, you know, I'm inspired by Chase. I'm inspired by my husband. I'm inspired by so many other bereaved moms and families out there. And that's where I pull my inspiration from to keep moving forward and, you know, trying to provide hopefully a ray of hope of some sort (laughs) on this journey. So it's a gift for me to do this, a privilege. Well, I commend you for all the work you do because it is a lot. I mean, I've been through it myself. I know what it means to start organizations from scratch. I know what it means to try to get all the people together to help you and to make it what you envision it to be. And, And when you sit there on Mother's Day and you just look around and you think to yourself, wow. We did this. (laughs) We did this. And you should just be so proud. And I know that Ari is looking down from heaven saying, go mom. (laughs) Go mom. Uh, Because you're honoring her and she knows it and your family knows it. And it's such a testament to how you came through all this, Lisa. Thank you. In the moment, you don't see it, but for sure last year, Mm -hmm. having it in person and virtual and just like women from all over coming together, it hit me. It hit me like, okay, this is something, this is something so special. And I honestly, the numbers are a little bit lower this year. It does not matter to me because I know who's meant to be there will be there. God will find a way for them to make it work. We've had generous donors come in. So we're able to partially scholarship some women. We're able to fully scholarship some women, but we give them all we have. Every speaker gives them every single ounce of what they have to these women. And I I know they walk out of there forever impacted or changed. And you were so generous last year, giving us a nice amount (laughs) that a lot of women who joined us virtually 
didn't didn't have Great. to pay for the registration. So, I'm so you know, glad because when I first learned so about you, I just I just knew what that impact would be. I just knew it, and I I wanted to give what we could, and I'm so grateful to you for doing all that you did. You know, there will be mothers all around the globe who will hear about it and want to be with you. And if we can get them there, great. And if we can get them online, great too. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to be ready to come. Like there is no ever ready, right? We know that firsthand. It's never the right time. Just do this for your heart. Yes. And you have to do it to honor yourself as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's out there who are listening now. We honor our children, but there comes a time where you have to give yourself, give to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you're so concerned about everybody else. You're afraid that others have already forgotten your child, you know. Not so much the siblings, but like aunts and uncles and cousins Mm -hmm. and friends, you know, they don't really talk about that person anymore. They don't say their name, which can be very hurtful. And when the anniversaries come around, you know, you want someone to acknowledge your child. It's very important. And like Ari's birthday's next week, you know, it's It's so important. It's so important. And it's a long journey without them. And if you never have anybody bring them up or speak their name, talk about them, you know, it can be hard. Right. It adds layers of challenge, right? We're, We're already experiencing this huge challenge of trying to figure out who we are after loss. And then that just compounds it, you know? So trying to be an advocate, find your grief voice, right? And this is the perfect place to do it. I think it so really too. Is. And and other mothers, because they know what you're going through, they'll be the first ones to remember, you know? Yeah. Right. And there's even, I mean, one of our speakers last year, she was a, like so hilarious. Like, so there's laughter, but you don't have to then go, I'm still grieving though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's okay to laugh. And everyone else in the room understands that you're still grieving just because you're laughing, just because you're smiling, you know, we yeah. don't have to feel guilt or shame for experiencing those joyous moments. It's um, true. It's part and of the journey. No, I totally agree with that. I did a podcast interview about that. I don't remember the exact names, but it's basically living while grieving, you okay. know, yeah. you're right. still going on. You're still making, you know, precious moments with the ones who are with you now, you know, right. and it doesn't mean that they're not being here as any less, difficult mm-hmm. but they're always in your spirit you know right always in your spirit for sure right. lisa i have thoroughly enjoyed this i think that your words are going yeah. to help so many moms and family hope <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. definitely will. really hope between all your your organizational work and this interview i know people are going to be sitting here nodding their head as they agree with all that you're saying and knowing and feeling comfort and knowing that they're going to be okay. It might not be today or tomorrow. It might take a while, but every day you inch forward to a little bit better way. Yeah. I like doing this because you feel like you're starting here and anytime you feel like you're going backwards, it's just because you're looping, but it's not like you're going all the way back to the start. You're doing this, right? Yes. So sometimes we do take a few steps backwards, but you are still moving forward. That's, that's just part of the it. Conscious, 
Yeah. Making the conscious choices of what is going to help you that day when you wake up, what do you need for that day? So just giving yourself this, the space, the time, the space to just bring awareness to, okay, how am I waking up today? You know, I like to work out in the morning, but some mornings my body's like, "Mm -mm, you need to press snooze and you need to go back to bed. So then I honor that. I honor that, you know, and I, I used to beat myself up over it and now I, I don't perspective has changed. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just attending, attending to what your, your body, your heart, your mind, your soul is asking of you. And then honoring that, giving yourself permission to, to be as it may. Thank you again so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure and honor. And I so appreciate the work that you're doing, Mary. And I really hope that, you know, this bereaved parents, bereaved moms series is so it it reaches the masses because I know it'll be so helpful for so many women to hear, you know, from, from losses of all different ages. So. Well, we're going to do everything we can to get it out there. (laughs) (laughs) I know you will. (laughs) (laughs) Because it would be a shame if we did all this work and it didn't like touch all the lives it needs to touch. Yeah. Yeah. And I have faith that it will. I really do. So thank you again, Lisa. And I will put just for everyone to know beneath the podcast, you will have the show notes in the show notes. I'm going to have all the links to Lisa's organizations and things to come. And I hope you will click on there and learn more about her and what she does and all the great things that are going to be up ahead. So God bless. And I look forward to you, Mary. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Mary. Bye-bye. 